Hello, this is episode 144, and today we're discussing how to talk to the kids about the birds and the bees. You are listening to the Simple Families Podcast, a Q&A style show that brings you solutions for living well with family. Here's your host, Danae Barahona. Hi, it's Danae. Thanks so much for tuning in. I am happy to have you here. In today's episode, I'm talking with Amy Lang. Amy is of the website The Birds and Bees and Kids, and that's exactly what she specializes in, how to have conversations with kids about sex. So if you have the kids in the car and you're not ready to talk about this right now, you might want to put this episode on hold for later. But before we get into that, here's a message from today's sponsor. Today's sponsor is ButcherBox. ButcherBox delivers a box of meat to your doorstep. It's high-quality meat, 100% grass-fed, grass-finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage-breed pork. The quality is amazing, and there's a commitment to raising animals humanely, free of antibiotics and hormones. Not only do I love the quality, but the convenience. The meat is frozen at the peak of freshness, and it's waiting on your doorstep in vacuum-packed, biodegradable packaging. It's incredibly convenient and ships anywhere within the 48 states. You can choose your delivery frequency and the types of meat that you're going to get. And recently they've added wild Alaskan salmon. I encourage you to try it out. For $20 off your first box and two pounds of free salmon, go to butcherbox.com forward slash families and enter the promo code families. Again, for $20 off your first box and two pounds of free salmon, Go to butcherbox.com forward slash families and enter the promo code families. All right. So a little bit about what's been going on in the masterclass. I launched the masterclass four weeks ago and it's been amazing. We started the first week of the eight week program in the home talking about the physical stuff, the wardrobe, the toys, the kitchen, and we're getting ready to move into the parenting stuff. So over the course of the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about having less fear and fewer distractions and hurrying our children less. And last but not least, refereeing and how to do less of that as well. Because less truly is more, even when it comes to parenting. If you're following along on Instagram, I've been sharing some of the progress that the participants have been making, and it's really exciting. There's been so many transformations. The program is going to launch again in April, and I would love to have you in it. So put that on your radar. If you want to stay in touch with the email updates, that's the best way to know what's going on with Simple Families. You can go to simplefamilies.com, and at the top, you'll see a bar where you can leave your email address. On the email list, you're going to get a weekly email from me of what's going on on the podcast, in the community, and on the blog. So let's get back to today's episode. Here's my chat with Amy. If you want to get the details on the things that we talk about in this episode, you can go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 144. Hi, Amy. Thanks so much for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. I'm so excited that you're going to tackle this topic with me today, Amy, because I will admit that I have no idea about how to talk to kids about the birds and the birds and the bees. I don't know anything about this topic. Well, you're not alone. Most uh, parents really didn't have a good, didn't have good examples in their own lives when they were kids. And so here we are parenting and we have to talk about sex. And how did you get into this? 
I was a sexual health educator for over 16 years. It was actually my hobby. And I did lots of birth control and STD counseling and pregnancy counseling. And I totally loved it. I actually rearranged my work schedule so that I could do my volunteering. So I was super lucky with my job. And I had figured I was just going to be a total rock star when I had kids and that I would be, you know, the best sex talker ever. And so I was uh, wrong. Um, so when my son was about five, he was getting ready for a bath and he, um, pointed his penis and he said, Hey mama, did you know? And in that moment I was like, Oh no, please do not tell me it feels good to touch your penis because I got nothing. And he went on to say, I can see the veins in there where the blood goes. And I was like, excellent. Get in the bathtub. And I was so surprised that I was so uncomfortable talking to my, you know, my five-year-old about this really normal part of life. And it wasn't even a sex question per se. And so in that moment, I was like, great, I'd rather talk to a pregnant 15-year-old than my five-year-old. So this ain't right. And but I, the anticipation of it, like this, it didn't even happen, but you were just thinking like, oh no, please don't ask about like that anticipation. Just, I think that's what trips so many of us up, right? Even if it doesn't happen, it's the dread that comes with it. And why do you think that is? Well, I think it's, you know, again, back to what I said at the beginning, like our parents really, for the most part, didn't do a good job of showing us how to have conversations about sexuality, love and relationships. So there's that. Uh, the other thing is most people look at their kids and they say to themselves, oh no, you're too young to know about this. And even just the basics, you know, how people typically get pregnant. Um, so just even the basics of that, we get hung up on it. I mean, I was, I was hamstrung. I was like, oh no, how do I do this? And I really knew my sexuality stuff. And so the other thing that goes on with parents, I think, is that they you know, most of us had sex ed when we were in fifth or sixth grade. Some of us just got puberty ed. And so this, there's this idea that A, that's the time to start talking to kids about sex and B, school will handle it. Right. Which is kind of scary because you have no idea how school is going to handle it or if they're going to handle it in any way, shape or form. Exactly. And the thing about school sex ed, there's some that's really good. There's some that's really bad. And depending on what state you live in, it de the program just depends. And, you know, if you're in a state where there isn't mandatory sex education, even though they're supposed to be mandatory, uh, your kids are at the mercy of their peers and the internet. And, you know, if there's any sex ed at all, they're going to get that information and they're biggest problem with sex ed in schools is that they don't talk about values and they shouldn't. So this is a huge part of the conversation. Like you got to talk to your kids about your sexual values or they will be, you know, sort of operating in the dark in a lot of ways. Right. So the values part comes along with the science and the body part and the explanations the of the physical stuff exactly. as well. Yeah, exactly. So if fifth grade is not, if fifth grade is too late, then what is the right timing? When do we start talking about this? Well, this is going to come as a surprise to most people. So maybe take a breath, uh, pause, breathe. So what I determined when I started doing my research is that the best time to start the conversations is about age five. And that sounds really young. And when I say start the conversations, what I mean is explain how babies are made. And you need to explain the usual way penis and vagina, sperm, et cetera, et cetera. And in your family, if you came to be a family in a different way or you got pregnant in a different way, 
then say, and in our family, and explain how uh, you got pregnant. And I just want to talk a little bit about why five, uh, because everybody needs justification. So in the Netherlands, where they have the lowest rate of teen pregnancy, teen HIV rates, teen STD rates, they start their sex education in school, and it's comprehensive, which means they cover all the things uh, at in kindergarten. And they have sex education all the way through their schooling, and they it works. So the other part of the deal in Netherlands is that they are really comfortable with sexuality. They're comfortable with nudity. They see sexuality as a normal, healthy part of life. And, you know, here in the United States and tons of other countries, uh, we see it as embarrassing, shameful, secretive. And so that message that sexuality is healthy, you know, important, normal, uh, when those, those kids, those Dutch, Dutch kids get that message, they do better. And, you know, we're all hung up in this puritanical, we can't talk, talk about bodies, we can't talk about sex, just even like grown up to grown up. That's really uh, kind of messing with us and it's impacting our kids. Yeah, I agree on that. And now, so I'm thinking I have a five-year-old son and I also have a daughter who's almost three. And my thought is that I, if I explain it, I'm worried that they would try to imitate it or try to act on it in some way, or try to like sort of play it out. Like, is that a normal fear of parents? It's a very common fear of parents. And from what I've read, it kids won't actually try to have sex with each other or act out in a negative way. And we can talk a little bit about sexual play in kids in just a minute. Um, they won't act out in an abusive kind of way. And uh, we don't see any evidence of that. And especially with little kids and especially kids all of all ages, actually, you need to say, you know, this isn't for kids. It's for later in life. It's when, when your body, your heart and your mind are ready for a relationship and ready for something like this. And if you just establish that it's not for kids and establish that it's for later in life, then they're going to get that message. And also their bodies are not saying, let's get busy. With a teenager, like a 15-year-old, that's a different story. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit about sexual play with kids. I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. Well, what we know is that playing doctor and ex little kids, preschoolers, and exploring each other's bodies, being super curious about, you know, who's got what. Like with your son and, and your daughter, you may have noticed that he is like, what is going on down there? And she may be thinking, what is that thing hanging off the front of you? And so... Oh, yeah, for sure. There's a lot of attempts to touch in the bathtub, especially from her to him, sort of like if he lays down, it's like, oh, yeah, that's that's happening. Yeah. So if you think about it from a two-year-old you know, perspective, this is my brother. We're super close friend. We're super close. We're friends. And what's that thing hanging off his body? And of course, she's going to try and touch it because she's curious. And that's a typical common response. Now, it's not okay. And it's not safe to continue games or to play games with private touching. Um, you know, even with her reaching out to touch his, his penis, she's violating his boundaries. And so that's another, you know, we can talk about that in a minute, but that's another thing, you know, we need to say to our kids, oh no, that's his private, that, those are his private parts. It's not okay for you to touch them. Just like it's not okay for him to touch your privates. So we're establishing some guidelines there. And what we mostly see, we see a lot of that. So curiosity based on like, who's got what? 
And then the other thing is that kids, usually little kids in particular, they'll talk about playing a game. And so they might play house and they might literally play doctor. And so there might be some, um, like when they're playing doctor, obviously they're going to look at the whole body because nowadays when kids go to the doctor, the doctor looks at their whole body. And so this is all considered normal. It's all considered typical. And it parents get really like terrified that it means the child is either being sexually abused or is a perpetrator. And they, they absolutely usually not, that's not the case. That's not the case. So in the way that I usually handle it is I just try to sort of redirect it and separate them and tell them that, you know, those that's private, that's his private body. Those are the private parts of his body. And these are the private parts of your body. You can touch yours and he can touch his, but you can't touch each other's. But I don't overreact. Like I don't freak out and yell or try to make a big deal out of it. What do you what's what do you think the reaction? What would you look for in a parent to try to keep this behavior to a minimum, but at the same time setting boundaries? Exactly what you said. Like you got to take a breath and before you start talking and then remind yourself that this is curiosity based and the calmer you are, the calmer they'll stay. I love what you're saying to your kids. It's simple. It's short and they'll get the message. I try to use two syllable words with kids and I rarely use the word inappropriate because it's so long. And they also, I don't think they even know what it means. So what I- I'm totally with you on that. I don't think they know it. I I hear my son saying that sometimes and it just feels kind of awkward coming out of his mouth. And I'm kind of questioning the value of the word to him. Nothing. I think it's like, they just hear, oh, there's that thing. I think it means that this isn't okay. And then they move along. So the language I prefer with all correction with kids, behavior correction is it's not okay because it's not okay. They understand that. And with this in particular, it's not okay. And it's not safe. Right. And, but you're not in trouble. I think that's an important part too, that we don't want our kids to think they're in trouble. Exactly. And we don't want to shame them either. So sometimes uh, kids will be curious about another kid's private parts and it might be your son and he's checking out his sister's privates. He's checking out his best friend's privates. He's checking out his best friend's sister, whom he seems sees all the time, her privates. And Sometimes when this happens, the parent can get all crazy and be like, what are you doing? You did this again. We already talked about this. And sometimes with some kids, they see their parent getting all big and crazy and they think, I've gotcha. And so they'll keep doing it to get all the attention from their parents because little kids don't, kids in general, they don't care what kind of attention they get. They just want attention. Right. And this is an issue that pushes a lot of buttons on most parents, I would say. Yes. This is the hardest part of talking about sex with kids because we have to think about their safety. We have to think about child sexual abuse. We have to think about those things, which I don't want to think about. And I'm pretty sure you don't want to think about, but we have to, it's part of keeping kids safe. And One of the lovely things about having little kids is that you can start really early with these body safety conversations. And so that when they get to be a little bit older, it's easier to say, you know, hey, you know, so one of the big things that it's important for your kids to know how to do is to trust their guts and for you to acknowledge, like, you know, when you're in the grocery store with one of your kids and they look at somebody and they do that big skirt around to avoid them, 
that's their intuition telling them that there's something not safe about that person. Now, it might be that they're drunk or drugging. It might be that they're crazy. It might be that they're, you know, really big. I mean, it might be any number of things. So when your child does that, say, oh, do you have the uh-oh feeling about that person? And they'll say yes. And then you say to them, you know, every time, anytime you have that uh-oh feeling, you can tell me you won't be in trouble. And again, sort of establish that you've got this intuition inside of you that tells you when something's not safe. I really like that because kids do have intuition and I think we underestimate that in our own kids. Oh, totally. And that's because as women, we've just tramped it down, right? Like we don't pay attention to our intuition. I was getting on an elevator one day and there was one other man with me and I got a total like, uh oh, creepster vibe. And did I pretend to forget something and wait for the next elevator? No, I got on the elevator with him. And it was fine, but the part that was not fine was that like that feeling like, uh-oh, I shouldn't do this. Like there's something off here. And, you know, maybe, I don't know, I was making stuff up, but I definitely ignored my own intuition. Right. So whenever we can encourage kids to pay attention to their intuition, that's a really positive thing. And when we pay attention to our own, like if you know right. you're going to, your kid's going to freak out, you're pretty sure if you go to the grocery store after two other stops, then don't go to the grocery store because you're right. Your kid is going to have a freak out. Right. So I am kind of running all these things through in my head right now. And I'm thinking about talking to kids early about sex and them talking to their friends. Right. So I tell my five-year-old about sex and how it works, the logistics of it. And then he goes and tells his friends at pre-K. Yeah. Like what do you, what's your take on that? So you run the risk of that happening. Um, you know, the good news is your kid will be accurate uh, and maybe the sex expert on the playground. Uh, so yeah, you do run that risk. It's actually pretty slim. And one of the things you can say is essentially, hey, this is something we talk about in our family. You can talk to your other parent about it. You can talk to safe adult, safe adult. And then say, but sometimes people feel uncomfortable about this. I don't know why, but they do. So the rule is, and it's really important to say the rule is that we talk about this in your family, in our family, and it's not your job to talk to other kids about this. And then you cross your fingers. <laughs> you know, I don't know why, but I just kind of feel like if you don't make a big deal out of the conversation, right? You don't make it like this big, like special taboo topic and conversation. They just really aren't going to have a reason to talk about it on the playground. It's not like this is just going to like come up. Um, it just feels like why, why else would they, it just would be an unusual topic of conversation. Yeah. If you point it out that kids way. Of this age, unless you make it this really big deal and a big secret and that sort of thing. Right. So I'm not, yeah. So that's also something that can happen. And most of the time, like I said, kids don't share unless someone says, my mom is pregnant. My mom's going to have a baby. And your kid's like, yeah, I know how that baby got in there. So, uh, got yeah. It, yeah. so, so if you really casually say like that whole thing about people feel uncomfortable, I don't know why, but we don't want people to feel uncomfortable. So this is a private conversation we have in our family and then look at the shiny thing and move along. So I agree with you. And then if it happens, if, you, if they share and you find out, then that might be the time to say, Hey, here's a dealio as you just experienced. Right. So what, 
what if you have kids that get uncomfortable talking about it? Um, like if you're trying to talk to your kid about it and they run off and don't want to hear about it, do you think it's something you should push and try again later? Or what's your take on that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the things that we forget about talking about sexuality is that it's not their job to ask us questions. It's not their job to be, you know, wildly open to the conversation. It's our job to provide information to them and our job to figure out strategies for approaching a kiddo who's like, hell no, I'm not talking to you about this. And that usually doesn't happen until they're eight or nine and pre-puberty because they're starting to get this like icky sense of sex. Like it sounds gross to them, which of course is fabulous. It's too bad. It doesn't sound gross to them until they're 25, but you know, (laughs) not going to get my way. And so they, um, they generally don't get squigged out by it until they're heading into puberty. And if your child is like, I don't want to talk about this, it's gross or whatever, and giving you a big reaction, then you can say, yeah, I get it. It's uncomfortable. I would have felt uncomfortable if my mom talked to me in this way, but it's super important. It's an important part of life. So we'll have little conversations. I'll keep it short and sweet. And you have to listen because it's so important. And then that's it. That's it. And then later you can say, hey, this is what I had to do with my son, who's now 18. Um, He did not want to talk about sex. It was crazy. Uh, You know, you have a sex educator for a mom. You think you'd take full advantage. Not the case. So then later you say to them, hey, I need to talk to you about a sex thing. Do you want to do it now or do you want to do it later? They will always say later. And then that gives you a time time to really sort out what you want to say. You should have it ready to go before you say that, um, to sort out what you want to say. And then you need to look for a time when your kid is mellow and open. And again, trust your gut. And then at that point, just say, hey, it's it's set, it's time. So just give me a couple of minutes. You can time me. And I just need to let you know this. And you'll be surprised that sometimes the conversations go on longer. You know, sometimes they may be like, okay, I'm done. And that's enough, but you cannot let your kids lead this conversation, especially the way the world is now. Every, I don't know if you know this, but the average age a kid is exposed to pornography is about age nine. And yeah. And so they have to have a connection to you about this so they can talk to you if something like that happens. And also, so they see you as the sex expert. Yeah. And I, I can, I can see that. And it's interesting you say nine, because now that I think about it, it seems really young, but with YouTube and the internet, like it just, it wouldn't be surprise me if there were a lot of kids seeing it a lot younger without their parents even knowing it. Right. Because parents generally don't put parental controls or monitoring software on their on the devices their kids are looking at like if you handed your phone to your kid do you have monitoring software on your own phone probably not uh do you monitor every second they're engaged with the device probably not and so what's happening is parents are in this oh not my kid my kid would never but every parent i've talked to and i do this is the main thing i do consultations on uh my kid was porn exposed i would say f- at least 50% of my calls and my consultations are about this so if you don't have monitoring software the chances are really high they're going to be exposed and i had a couple in to see me whose daughter who was uh, 7 or 8 she googled horses Oh, no. And she got to porn. Yeah. And I do not recommend, well, you can Google horses and then follow your nose. Um, But yeah, so that's happening all the time. Parents don't know. And so 
the long story short is, and yes, I'm ranting because this makes me crazy. It's a really easy fix. Use monitoring software. You know, your kid may never look something up, but another kid who looked up boobs Wait, may want so to show your kid the boobs. so what kind of monitoring software are you talk- talking about? I'm not familiar with any of them. Are there different apps and things that you download? Oh. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So I use Custodio and it's okay. on my website, on my resources page. So it's birdsandbeesandkids.com and go look at my resources page because it's spelled funny. Um, and it goes on, you can, it's really easy to install. Like I think I had the whole thing up running and good to go in under 20 minutes and you have to install the app on every device your kid accesses. And then it's super cool because you can really restrict what they're looking at and then let the leash out as they get older and you get an, you get an email notification when your kid is at an, and they a can't site access site that's that not site okay. or it just alerts you when they're at the site that's not okay sometimes they can sometimes they can access if, if it's not if whatever something somehow it sneaks through but mostly they okay. can't it tells and them of sorry course, you can't this go here makes sense and it sounds very preventative for younger kids but once kids are getting to be of the age where their friends have devices and the friends don't have sensor devices then i mean all bets are off right Yep. And if your child is exposed on somebody else's phone or a device or at their house, you have to tell the other family because it's it's about pre- protecting your child and also about protecting their child. And I don't believe I believe that when children access pornography, it is not their it's not their fault. It's absolutely the parents fault for not taking the steps to protect their kids online. And maybe that sounds shaming and mean, but it's just an easy, easy thing to do. It's easy to do this to protect your kids. Because nobody, I mean, nobody should see, you know, porn as it is today, especially kids. Um, And, you know, it is an easy fix. And the other thing is you do not want to be the parent that gets that phone call from another parent. Your kid showed my kid porn. Absolutely. It's pretty awful. So what do you think about consent? There's been a lot of talk about teaching kids consent. Do you have any tips around this or thoughts? Yes, this is one of my favorite things to talk about, especially with parents of young kids. So a couple things. Uh, First of all, you need to start demonstrating consent when they're really young. And so it doesn't have to be about sex at all. Uh, So all consent means is asking permission and giving permission. That's what it is. So may I shake your hand? Yes, there's consent happening. So with little kids, you can start yourself by asking first. So when, and you can just practice this. So like if you're wiping your kiddo's butt when they've taken a dump, then say, may I, I'm gonna, may I wipe your butt? And, or whatever you call it. And they will say yes or no. And you have to run the risk of them saying no. And if they say no, then just say, okay, let's just wait a minute. And then you wait. And then with butt wiping, you know, you have to get it done. So you can say, okay, are you ready? And they'll say yes or no. And then you say, okay, I know you don't want to do this, but we need to. So why don't you learn how to do it yourself, right? Everybody should be done wiping their own butts by the time they're four or so. Anyway, um, so that's consent. And then you can also ask before you hug your child so that they can say no and feel like, feel that feeling and that empowerment of saying no. And this sometimes seems weird to families because, why should you have to ask before you hug or kiss your own child? It's because you're demonstrating because they need to know right, that they can them say no. You're giving them an out if they feel uncomfortable and they need to practice that in a safe space. Exactly. And, you know, also with little kids, you can just role play and 
say, you know, hey, let's pretend. I'm gonna give you a hug and first you say no, and then you show what a, what a person who respects their no looks like and you act and you do that thing. Like, this is what I look like. Okay, no problem. And then you say, okay, now let's practice you saying yes. And can I give you a hug? Yes. And then do it with handshakes, do it with high fives, uh, you know, do it with kisses, do it, do it, do it with whatever you want. And they'll get that message. And, uh, and then you can also say, and by the way, it's never okay for anybody to ask you to touch their privates or your privates or to take pictures of your privates or anything like that. Uh, it's not okay. It's not safe. And you need to tell me if that happens. You Great. Won't and I love that. Trouble. I think starting small from the very beginning and making it a habit. And it's hard because a lot of times I spontaneously hug my kids and I don't want to stop doing that. But there are very definitive times when I'm not sure if my kids want to hug. And I, right. I, th- those seem like so windows ask, of time where I can definitely yeah. practice that. Maybe not every single time I hug them, but there are definitely times where I'm not a hundred percent sure. And I think those times will be ideal for me to start doing that. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, if with your own kids, it's fine. <laughs> like, but it, but they need to know, understand that boundary. And sometimes they get weird around family members. So uh, this whole idea of give grandma a hug, give grandma a hug, give grandma a hug, that's not fair to your child. And you have to warn the grandparents that we're practicing boundaries and, you know, they're adults, they'll deal and you can explain why. Uh, sometimes it's good if you give them a heads up. And so if they say, can I have a hug? And they say, no, they need to respect. Right. The and that is probably no. a little bit uncomfortable or a little bit um, difficult for people of another generation to understand when they're not up to the latest information about consent, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be. But a little bit of education and, goes a long way you know, and a little bit of information, live. right? That's right. Right, exactly. And it might be uncomfortable for you too, but nobody ever said that parenting was comfortable. So So what about talking about body parts? How do we talk about body parts? What do we call them? We call them by their correct names. Uh, We make, you need to make sure that your kids know all the correct names for their body parts and then the opposite sex body parts. So everybody knows what everybody's got. And the nice thing about talking with young kids is that they don't know they don't know there's anything weird or bad or shameful about their bodies. Uh, we provide that lovely gift to them. Uh, so with your little kids, one of the things I used to do with Milo is before he was, when he's getting ready for a bath, uh, we would talk about all of his parts. What's that? That's your hand. What's that? Your finger. What's that? That's my penis. So we'd practice. And so I knew he knew what his private body parts were with Uh, the opposite sex kids, you can look at books and you can look at books for both kids and see all the different parts and then use the correct names. So with boys, what you can see is their penis and their testicles and everybody has an anus uh, and, you know, butt, bottom, whatever. I don't care about that. Uh, And everybody has, everybody has nipples. So don't be afraid to use the words and I'll talk about how to do that. And then with girls, they have a vagina and a vulva. So Vaginas are very hard to see. Uh, they're an important part of a girl or woman's body, but um, what you can see is called is the vulva. It's it means covering in Latin, and so when you talk to your daughters, uh, don't call that her vagina. Call it her vulva. That's more correct. And you know it gets confused with the word vulvo <laughs> regularly, so you may have some entertaining conversations uh, about that. And 
the reason for using the correct terms for private body parts is that it's actually actually keeps kids safer from sexual abuse when they know the correct names. Because if a child says, "Hey, don't talk my talk to my don't touch my penis," then that's going to tell an older kid or adult that oh, somebody's talking to this kid, and especially with old with adults. And as opposed to you know, don't touch my tinkle waggle, that that doesn't have the same, it doesn't have the same power. So it's empowering for kids to know the correct names for their privates. So you should have that all done by the time they're five. And if you're getting the correct names party started a little late uh, with a kid like your daughter, who's two, just, I know you're already using them. No problem. Even with a three-year-old, just use them instead of whatever you've been saying. With an older kid that's four or five, say, you know what, you're old enough now to know. And then you tell them the correct names for their own private body parts. And then you tell them the correct names and, for And our kids won't think that those words are weird parts. unless we make them weird, right? Absolutely. Like we make right. a lot of things weird. So it's again, you need to calm down. You know, one of the words that nobody says is clitoris and every girl needs to know she has a clitoris. I believe it's the bonus for <laughs> bleeding every month and childbirth. Um, it's our reward for that fun part Absolutely. of life. So fun parts of when, life. are there any books? Like I feel like having a book with the images that would really clearly explain this. Do you have that one of those on your resource page? Okay. Absolutely. And yeah, having a book is the easiest way to start the conversations with kids because you're already reading to them and, you know, reading is a normal part of your life. And oh, look, here's a book about bodies and families and how babies are made. And then you read it. So the the books I love the best are uh, It's Not the Stork. And the other one I like is What's the Big Secret? What's the Big Secret is a little uh, simpler. It covers all the correct body parts and it explains how babies are made, um, which I don't recommend recommend books that don't have that piece because I just think it's stupid, um, frankly. And then uh, It's Not the Stork is my absolute favorite. It talks about all kinds of things. It talks about bodies. It talks about body safety. It talks about different kinds of families. It talks about how people become pregnant and the different ways that happens. Uh, there is a section on sexual abuse prevention. Uh, and the lo- thing I love about Roby Harris's writing is that she's, re- she's great. Like it's really kind and gentle and thoughtful. And, you know, I wish I could just channel her words. Uh, so you're in super right, good hands with either one of those books. <laughs> I'm a minimalist, right? I need both. And they're fun. <laughs> I, just, I feel like I need some good examples well, of words. Like I need to know what are some ways to say it that are clear and concise and get the point across. And the, the idea of images too makes me, makes things easier for me. What do you think about reading these books to both of my kids? Is my daughter too young or she just won't quite grasp it yet and she'll get it as she gets older? Yeah, she won't grasp it quite yet and she will okay. not have but it's a no memory hard of to do with this with a younger kid, a kid younger than five. No, absolutely not. And if your kids are within two years age difference, uh, just read them, read the books, read the book with all of them there. Um, because it just makes it easier on you, frankly. And the three-year-old might not understand the whole thing. I mean, same with the five-year-old. But as you keep reading these books with them, you move up to the next book in the series, you're having conversations. And so by the time they start middle school, they should know the basics of pretty much everything related to sexuality and sex. Uh, because when they get to middle school... 
Right. And they're going to know the right stuff. They're going to know the facts and they're already going to have a value set around all of this by the time they get to middle school. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I think one of the, so your books are your best friend and read them all yourself first. If you're really uncomfortable, read it out loud. So you hear yourself say the words, uh, there are the Romy Harris books that it's not the stork and it's so amazing, which are, it's so amazing is my favorite. Uh, they are lots of words. So just read a section at, you know, at bedtime or when you have reading time, just read a section at a time with littler kids, like four-year-olds, they want to read the books over and over and over again, just like they want to read other books over and over and over again. So don't be shy. Just go for it. It can be exhausting. I had three sex books when Milo was about five, and I he brought them all over to me, and he had me read. He's like, read it again. And like, I was reading them, reading them over and over again. And right, finally, as I was you like, would okay, with any book, I'm anymore. sure. Not Let's just go. limited to that, for sure. Right, right. What about the kid right. who just oh, wants to yeah, ask sure. you a billion yeah, anyway. questions all the time about it and talks to you off all the time? Do you just answer everything honestly and truthfully, or is there anything you think should be saved for later? Well, it depends on what they're asking. So if your five-year-old asks you what a blowjob is, that's a red that's a red flag. Five-year-olds should not know about that. Uh, and you can say to them, you know, tell me what you think that means and then see what they say. Uh, sometimes I'll need correcting, sometimes not. And sorry to freak you all out. I didn't mean to. Uh, but if it's with something simple, like, um, you know, why do I have a peanut? Or like Mike Milo at one point said to me, you know, he was all upset. And he's like, mama, why does it get hard like that? And so I just talked about it really simply. And I just said, you know, sometimes all the blood goes in, blood from your body goes into your penis and it gets hard like that. It's totally normal and it'll go down. So would you <laughs> include the piece of sometimes when so, you touch your penis, it feels good and that makes your penis get hard. Would you include that part? You certainly could. And, um, or if you're not comfortable with that, you can just say what I said. And then later on say, oh, by the way, you know, here's this thing. Sometimes when you touch your penis, it might feel good and it might get hard like that. You run the risk of, you know, having him do that okay. a lot more than he would normally because he's figured it out. So it's up to you. Um, I think when kids are a little bit older, like six or seven, you can say, you know, it feels good to touch those parts of your body. It's something you right. do. So can we talk a little a bit about kid boners and like why do they happen? Cause I'm totally ignorant about this. Is it from touching and it feeling good or is it just random? Okay. It's kind of random. It's kind of both. It's pretty much random acts of senseless erections. So they take off their clothes and they get, you know, they're changing clothes and they they might get a boner. Uh, they are obviously touching their penis. They might get a boner. I mean, it just kind of depends on the kid. And it's normal for little kids to get boners. It's also considered normal for little kids to not get boners. Um, if your child hasn't had an erection, I can't remember the stats. By the time they're 10 or so, then there might be something up. Um, so and of course, you're not going to know if your 10-year-old's having erections. So you might want to plant the seed to the doc with the doctor to say if they're having a checkup. And how's it going down there? You know, get hard. And okay. that's sometimes that's a, a little bit a easier for folks. Remember. So just to switch gears a little bit, talk to me a little bit about sexualization in childhood. And I've seen a lot of, you know, whether it's in the media or I, one of the things that comes to mind is little girls in dance schools. A lot of makeup a lot of skimpy clothes like that. Wh what role does that play as our children grow if they are dressing up in these roles and if they're seeing others dress and act this way? What do you think about that? I think that when little girls are 
made to look like miniature teenagers, it's problematic. And I, I may be, you know, upsetting some folks who don't agree with me, but I think that, you know, childhood is the time for playing and being a kid. And when we put our girls like cheer, kids or girls are doing cheer, they're, that particularly upsets me because they look like little women. And so a couple things, uh, kids who act more sexually older, which that is, they're looking like a teenager and teenagers are sexual beings in the grown-up kind of way. Uh, they tend to act that way in the rest of their life. And they, I think this puts them at risk for sexual abuse because if she's dressed like a little, you know, teenager with her makeup and her short skirt and all that, then somebody might make some decisions about your child, which they wouldn't make if your kid was running around, you know, in cheer and wearing, um, you know, no makeup, hair, however, and in a, like a skirt with leggings underneath and that kind of thing. Uh, that, that thought process is going to be less likely to occur. And I'm, making stuff up a little bit, but my gut is it's not, and most, most people know this. Like if your gut tells you, you know, that's not okay. She shouldn't look like a teenager at five, then don't do it. It's pretty simple, but I know that there are cultures where that's what everybody's doing. And I'm not shaming girls or shaming women uh, because that's something that people might be thinking while I'm talking about this. I'm just a very pragmatic person and I want kids to be safe. And I just think that when we allow our young girls to dress like they're older, it can lead to problems. Yeah. And I would say that I am in agreement with that. And I could, but I can see you put your kid into a cheer or dance class and everything's going great. And then all of a sudden they come home with this uniform that in your gut, you know, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel like what you want for your child, but she's, you know, two feet into this class and all the other kids are doing it. All the other parents are allowing it. And it's, it's hard to take a stance on something like that. It's, it totally is, you know, and changing like the culture of something like cheer or dance class is really huge. But one thing you can say to your, your daughter is this is like acting. Like you're on stage and so you get to wear the makeup, you get to wear your your costume and your cheer outfit. And then when you get home, you're back to your normal self. So this is per, per, for performance and not for regular life because it's the girls who are in regular life who have pink crammed down their throats and looking beautiful. And that's the most important thing in the world when you're a girl. Then those are the ones that are, you know, I mean, that's just total crap, right? Because the importance of a person is what's on the inside, not what's on the outside. Right. And with society and the media presenting that image so strong, it's it's a hard battle to fight. I mean, even with my two-year-old, I see it already. She loves pink. She talks about princesses, even though I've always been very adamant that I didn't want her to go down that route. She's always been very attracted to it. Yeah, And I could see as she gets older, being attracted to dance and it honestly, just from what I've seen with dance, it scares me because of what I've, of, of the costumes and the way that girls are sexualized from a very young age. So I'm, I'm hesitant to go the dance route, even though I know she's going to want that because of that, it sort of makes me, makes me nervous. Well, there's all kinds of dance. So that's something to remember. Uh, ballet is not, is not sexualized. Tap generally isn't. And you should, and you know, I'd recommend that you ask around uh, and find out from your friends, like where are you, you know, what dance schools are you 
like work for you? This is what I'm worried about. What have you found? And there are dance studios out there who totally understand that if you are letting seven-year-olds cock their hips and make kissy faces, and that's part of the, you know, and do, you know, sexual stuff-ish stuff with their bodies, then you know that's not for you. And there's so many dance moves that don't involve that. It, I mean, yeah. the world's our oyster, but for whatever reason, we're pushing our, you know, we're still pushing our girls into that, you know, those sorts of behaviors. Yes, I agree, Amy. And I think we can do so much better. Thanks so much for this. This has been so valuable. And I'm going to put all your links in at simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 144. But Amy, I know you've recently launched a podcast. Is that right? I have. I'm super excited about it. Tell me about it. What is it called? It's called Just Say This, and it's a Q&A style podcast. So rather than interviewing people, I have my lovely listeners call in and leave me a voicemail with a question they have about the birds and the bees, about relationships, about talking to kids, about you know being safe from sexual abuse. And it's fun and interesting. I love, I personally love this, this format. It's, I love Dear Abby and, you know, Ask Amy and all that. And so that's why, one of the reasons why I chose to do this format. And also it's anonymous. And so you can leave your voicemail. I'll put it on the air. I'll answer your questions. And the other thing I'm collecting, so please help me, are I want to end the show with funny sex talking stories. And because there are all kinds of things that happen that are, you know, hilarious when it comes to talking about sex, like the vulva 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 volvo thing is really common or one of my um one of the mamas that saw me speak she emailed me and she said amy you'll be so proud my daughter her first word was mama and her second word was vulva (laughs) i love that and yeah i think that you're right we do need to laugh at it because it's cute and it's sweet and it's funny and it's okay to be lighthearted about these things i think when we take them too seriously It gets to be a difficult conversation. And if we can just lighten things up early on and keep it simple and straight talking, that not only will it sort of lift this burden from our shoulders that we're going to have to face when our kids are older, but our kids, the results in our kids are going to show as well. Definitely. Definitely. And, you know, these conversations can be fun and funny. They don't have, they should not be longer than a few minutes, uh, especially when your kids are little, like you can just really quickly talk to them. And the nice thing is as your kids get older, the conversations get more interesting, they get harder. But what you want to see is your child, A, being the smartest kid on the playground about this and B, really comfortable and confident when they decide to have sex for the first time. And, you know, for all of us, we want, that's what we want for our kids to make healthy decisions, to feel good about their decisions in every piece of life, but especially I think in the sex and relationships part of life. Right. Exactly. So I'm excited about the podcast. I'm definitely going to check that out. And you also have an online course for people that want a step-by-step play-by-play on what to say, right? Yeah, I do. And if you go to my website, birdsandbeesandkids.com and click on the parenting classes, you'll see the link to go check that out. And my goal there is for parents to leave leave that course feeling totally confident, fired up and ready for, you know, any sex talk. And so there's lots of resources there. There's webinars on talking to kids about porn, what they should know by each age and that kind of thing. So it's pretty robust. Okay, great. And what age range or you do you recommend that for parents of kids of any age or older kids? Yeah, what do you think? Any age, honestly. Am I True focus of this work is on uh, essentially preschool to sixth grade or so, but it's applicable to somebody who has a 14-year-old or somebody has a, you know, a one-year-old, two-year-old. 
All right. Well, thank you so much, Amy. My pleasure. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for tuning in. If you want to learn more about Amy or get links to some of the things that we talked about, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 144. If you've enjoyed this episode and this podcast, I would love if you could leave a rating or review in iTunes. That helps the show to reach more people. Thanks again.